Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. God, thank you. Thank you for your presence, for your kindness. Lord, your goodness being demonstrated in the midst of us today. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful. What you've proclaimed in history, you continue to walk in fulfillment even today. That your promises are true. That they are a yes and they are an amen in our lives because of what Christ has done, and we are so grateful, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I thank you that you're in the midst of us today, that you have been pouring out, Lord, in the midst of us recently, but, Lord, you have continued to pour out your Spirit for 2,000 years, breathing on your people afresh each day, mercies new, speaking and releasing revelation that we might walk in your ways. And God, I thank you for that. And so I'm asking today, Holy Father, that you would touch lives. You would awaken hearts. That we would hear your voice, Lord. That you would cause our minds to be set on your word in a correct way. Lord, alignment would come that we might walk in fullness of all that you have for us. I thank you for this, Lord. I pray these things right now in Jesus' name. And if you dare to agree with that, you said, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, a few weeks back, we had a large team head to Israel. Are there anybody in the room here who are on that team? Just wave at me there. Yeah, come on. Um, Incredible trip. Uh, We plan on making this trip at least once every two years. And so if you were like oh, man, I really wish I could have gone. Well, hey, a couple years from now, you can. So it'll be awesome. But uh, I wanted to just tell you about an experience that I had on that trip and uh, maybe do a little show and tell. We were uh, in Jerusalem, and and, uh, on this specific day, we went up to the Temple Mount, the place that the, the temple had been, the place that was torn down in 70 AD by Rome. The platform itself, though, the mount still exists, even though the temple does not, because it's huge, massive stones. Would have been impossible to remove, if you will. But on this temple mount, there is a wall. It's the closest wall to where the temple was. And the Jewish people call it the, it's the westernmost wall. It's the, the wall that would have been closest to the Holy of Holies. And it's a sacred place because they go and they pray there. And there was a day where our team went and we spent some time. We went up to the Western Wall. So here's little pictures. There you go. Oh, if you can show the other one there, Chad. A little context there. There's the Western Wall. Maybe you've seen it and, you know, it, it, it's uh, pictured on news. It's pictured, you know, it's a pretty famous place. Um, but my son and I went up and approached the wall together and we were going to spend a little time praying. And that was that other picture there of... Josiah and I walking up to the wall, and we're going to take a moment and, uh, and spend some time in prayer. And it was such an interesting kind of surreal experience. My son is 20 years old, 
And the first time that I had been to that place, physical place, was when I was 19 years old, about to go into the military. And my own father took me there. And so it was this little, like, I don't know, like, you know, a, a, a glitch in the matrix moment. So I'm approaching it, and suddenly I'm 19 with my dad, and there's my son in that same exact situation as, you know, he's about to launch into life. And, and uh, we're walking up to that wall, and, and I, I, I said to him, I said, son, we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time in prayer. You know, it's the purpose of that place. And, and so we, we both walked up and said, hey, let's put our hand on the wall. Let's just pray. And as I put my hand on the wall, first of all, I did not have any kind of preconceived prayer in my mind. You know, sometimes you carry something into the place of prayer. That wasn't what was going on. Frankly, I was pretty blank in terms of uh, agenda. I said, hey, let's do this together. And so we went up, we put our hand on the wall. And as soon as I put my hand on the wall, something erupted out of my heart. I found myself praying for the uh, people of Israel. I found myself praying that God's kingdom would be established. I found myself blessing uh, Israel, blessing God's people in history and, you know, in the modern day as well. I, I found myself asking for the nations as an inheritance. This thing came up out of me, the very biblical prayers, just like, wow, I guess the Holy Spirit has those on load, right? Just locked in, <laughs> tap in, that's what comes out, right? In that moment, I'm praying, and then something shifted where I'm blessing God's family and asking that the Lord would bless mine. It was this exchange. It was this pouring out of prayer for the nations and that people would come to know him, that the, God's people would be blessed, that there would be peace in Jerusalem, that all this stuff, all this biblical prayer. And in the, in the same token, I saw my own family through the generations being blessed as a result. Like we're all engrafted into the same tree. We have been grafted into a root system that existed before us as believers. Do you know that? Come on, knock your neighbor on the, uh, the side there, just elbow him and say, I think that was a good idea. God did that, yeah. We have ended up connecting to inheritance and promises that have gone long before us, grafted into this promise. And as I'm praying in that moment, I found myself recognizing that my lineage, what would come after me, my children, my children's children, that they also would rise up blessed unto the Lord because God's name had been written over our lives, not just this physical place. Are you alive this morning? I want to talk to you this morning about your prayer life. I want to talk to you this morning about something that maybe you haven't thought about before. I want to talk to you about the name of the Lord. In Scripture, in history, there are significant moments where God's name is used and powerful exchanges take place. In a modern day, I, I have heard so many sermons growing up on prayer. I, I don't... I don't probably have lost count. I really am not sure how many sermons I've heard on the topic, but I can tell you this. The vast majority of them showed me how I was inadequate in prayer, not spending enough time in prayer, not equipped for prayer, 
And, and they weren't meaning to throw shade on my life. However, they were always in the tone of, you don't know something, but I know something, and so now I'm going to somehow help you. That's not the tone of this morning's message at all. In fact, I want to take this in a very different direction because turns out you are way more equipped. You are so incredibly powerful. And God uses you it, just in ways that are unimaginable already. You're doing it by accident. You're doing it by accident. You're falling off the log and accomplishing more in a day than you ever did before on purpose. God's kingdom is present in your life and he's using you so powerfully. Our prayer lives, this interaction with heaven, there's such significance on it and it's happening naturally and it's happening organically. And there's something that the Lord is inviting us into that when we step into it, that, that, that there's this divine flow of activity that God wants us to be a part of. And we're doing it already, but there is so much more. So much more available. Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you could ask and or imagine. That's what God wants to do through your life. We're at the Temple Mount and... Um, I was, uh, I was, it just, it wouldn't leave my head. I, I, after that experience, that flow that took place, it was, it was a God thing. Experienced it, uh, no other explanation other than I really felt the Holy Spirit rise up in me and this utterance was given in prayer. And it, it just stayed in the back of my mind. That story just stayed in the back of my mind and I've been pondering it and thinking about it. And you know how the Lord will like, prompt your heart about something, and he drops it like a seed in the back of your mind because he's inviting you to explore it a little bit more. If you haven't figured that out, when the God asks you a question, he's not looking for an answer. He's looking for you to spend some time pondering it. When God drops a hint, he's not saying, hey, you have it all figured out. He is expressing to you that there might be more to figure out. You alive this morning? This thing is happening to me, and so I, I began the journey in the scriptures, and I'm going to take you on it this morning. We're going to look through the scriptures at the place of the temple. We're going to look at what took place in history, how we got there, and I really, really believe that in the midst of telling that story, something is going to click on in your own heart and mind concerning your connectedness with heaven. I think that by the time we're done today, that your prayer life is going to have an authority. You are already walking in it, but you're going to know that you're walking in it. And as a result, you're going to see greater things take place as you pray. This is Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. I love the story of Daniel. He's one of my favorite characters in the scriptures. He's a prophet. At the time of Daniel's life, they have been exiled to Babylon. The nation of Israel has been ruined. The people of God are living in another nation. They're all slaves. Daniel was taken on to the king's court because he was seen as a magician. He was seen as an astrologer. 
as somebody who possessed supernatural insight, man of wisdom. And so he got taken right onto the king's court as an advisor. He's made a eunuch. Most likely, Daniel's parents are murdered by the current king that's employing him. He's in this place where he should be bitter, but he's not, where his heart should be hardened and maybe even trained out of thinking about Israel, but he can't get it out of his own heart and mind. The story goes on and says that the king demands that everyone in the world begins to pray to the king and no longer pray to their gods. And we pick the story up here, Daniel 6.10. Daniel knew that this law had been signed. And so what did he do? He entered into his house, into his roof chamber, which he had windows open towards Jerusalem. Everybody say towards Jerusalem. That was not everybody, but I'll let you slide this time. Here we go. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had always been doing previously. So a law kicks up. You cannot pray to any other God. You got to pray to the king. What's Daniel do? He goes into his inner chamber, opens the windows up towards Jerusalem, and he prays as he always has prayed. Daniel's story is this, that he receives revelation of the Messiah, that Daniel receives revelation of future kingdoms, and he talks about them in detail, about what's going to happen in the future. Daniel is given such wisdom that he's put onto the king's court and is an advisor to multiple kings in history. Daniel writes the script that the wise men later would follow in order to find the Messiah by looking at the stars. This guy has got revelation coming out of his ears. This guy is continually experiencing supernatural realities, and his practice is that he tunes his heart in towards Jerusalem three times a day. Why? What's going on in this supernatural guy's heart that's got him so tuned into spiritual things that he can determine the future with accuracy understand the times that he's living in and know what to do. And all of it is related to the fact that he is praying three times a day towards some place. First Kings 8. We know from the story of Samuel, who was a prophet, he anoints a king named Saul. The king following Saul is a man named David. We've talked about him recently. David is a man of worship. David is a man who's after the presence of God. David has in his heart that he would build God a house, a place. God tells him, hey, David, you're really good with swords. You got lots of blood on your hands. You're terrible with a hammer. We're going to have your son go ahead and build me a house. It's a little paraphrase. Solomon puts his hand to the task, and he begins to build God a house. This is 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 1. We're going to put it all on the screen for you today. 1 Kings 8, starting in verse 1. 
Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders, the fathers, households of the sons of Israel. To King Solomon in Jerusalem they came, and they brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is in Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast. Then all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent. And the priests and the Levites brought them up, and, the, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him were with him before the ark. And they were sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. The priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark. The cherubim make a covering over the Ark and its poles. But the poles were so long that the ends of the poles could be seen from outside. And they're there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord had made a covenant with the sons of Israel. And when they came out of the land of Egypt, it happened that when the priests came from the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. And the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, and the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. That's a good day there. Yeah. Remember last week where we began to talk about the day of Pentecost, about the wind and fire of God, the cloud representing the wind, the cherubim, the winged angels. Remember every time God cracks open the door of heaven previous to the new covenant, every time God opens the way to eternal life, we see those two things represented, the cherubim, and the fire of God. Every time God is in his presence with God's people, there is the wind of heaven and there is the fire of God. Every single time. This example is no different. Here in that place, we have the cherubim, the winged angels, the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant, the covenant of God, into the holy place. The pillar of cloud, God's glory, the wind of heaven, covers and fills the house. Woohoo! Nobody can stand up. Everybody's running for cover. Flip open to 2 Chronicles 6. The story is written in two different places, and uh, we're going to go between the two. There's either in Kings or the book of Chronicles. We're going to flip back and forth. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 6. After this takes place, starting in verse 3, the king faced about and he blessed the assembly of Israel. And so they put the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. The glory cloud fills the temple. All the priests go running. Solomon turns around and he addresses all of God's people. And this is what he says. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father, David. And has fulfilled it with his hands, saying this. This is what God said. Since the day that I brought my people from the land of Egypt, 
I did not choose a city out of the tribes of Israel in which to build my house, that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man as leader over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. Repeat after me. That my name might be there. And I've chosen David to be over my people Israel. And so this is a very strange sort of statement that requires explanation. When King David first became king, he was in Hebron, which is a city in Judah. Remember, Israel is broken into 12 separate tribes, and all of them have their own designated lands. David who is anointed king, sets up his kingdom in Hebron. And the only two tribes that rally to him are Judah and Benjamin. The neighbors. They all go, yep, David's our king. Until, everyone say until. Until David looked around and he thought to himself, Israel is not going to rally to Judah. Why? Because they are their own separate nations. We need to set a city apart that is different, that it's not designated by one of the tribes. David looked around and he saw that the Jebusites were occupying the city of Salem. David sneaks into the city, he sacks the city, and he makes it now Jerusalem, the city of David. And at that point in time, all of the tribes of Israel go, yep, you'll be our king. And they all come up to Jerusalem to now make David their king. It's a political move, it's a geographic move, and it's prophetic. It's so prophetic. It's prophetic because this is where Melchizedek was priest and king, Jerusalem where Abraham first gave the tithe to declare that God was his God, yeah? Jerusalem is also the place where Abraham offered Isaac up as sacrifice. This is literally the place where God encountered the people of Israel initially. And so David goes, where else would we set it up except for Mount Zion? Where else could we set it up except for the place where God has encountered his people? David goes there, and God encounters him in that place, and so he knows that's the city. So they set up Jerusalem, and now Solomon, years later, is now building the temple. Where? On the very spot that Abraham offered up Isaac. On the very spot that eventually Christ would be offered up. It's so prophetic. It's incredible. You know how long it takes, this, just little facts here. You know how long it takes Solomon to have a vision to set up the temple? It's so crazy because God begins speaking about that place 480 years before Solomon starts to build. People have been dreaming for generations about building a house for God in that place. 480 years and yet Solomon, in four years' time, takes the dream 
and establishes the vision and creates the physical place that people have been dreaming about for generations. Why can it all happen in one moment? Because there was finally alignment. I want to say to you today, it's a little off point, but I want to say to you today that it takes a long time to clarify the dream in your heart. It takes a long time. It might even take generations. You might not actually have it fully. It might be your kids that are going to run with something that's actually from God. So many people are quick to action. They want to establish something. They want their name to be included with something. And so they'll try to build it and it won't work. And they wonder why it won't work. Maybe it's because alignment has to take place before the assignment can come to pass. It takes a long time to clarify the dream. But once the vision's in place, man, that thing can happen quick. That's for somebody this morning. You've been dreaming a long time. You're wondering why the thing isn't coming to pass. And the Lord's inviting you into a little bit of greater alignment first. Second Chronicles 6, verse 12. Solomon then turns and he begins to pray to the Lord. So the people of the priests set the presence of God, set the Ark of the Covenant in place. God's wind begins to blow. The pillar of cloud comes. Solomon addresses God's people and he says, hey, listen, this is all a prophetic fulfillment of what my father David was trying to do. Jerusalem and this temple is the establishment of God's name in a place. And now, and he turns back and he begins to pray to God. And, and you wonder if it wasn't a quiet prayer, not some big loud thing. This is what he said. He stood before the altar, verse 12, in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands. Solomon had made this bronze platform and he stood on it. He knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly. He spread out his hands towards heaven and he said this, Lord, God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven or on earth. You keep your covenant and you show loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept your servant David's promise. My father, that which you promised him, indeed, you have spoken with your mouth. You fulfilled it this day. Therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying that he would not lack a man to sit on the throne. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you spoke to David. And then look at this phrase. This is what I want you to recognize today. But will God indeed dwell with mankind on earth? Behold, the heavens and the highest heaven cannot contain you. God's way too big, even for the heavens he created. How much less this house which I built? In other words, I built you a house. It's way too small. We both know it's too small. We know you can't fit in there. And then he prays something brilliant. And this is the key to your future prayer life. God, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to their supplication. Listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant prays before you. 
that your eye may be open towards this house day and night, towards the place of which you have said that you would put your name. Listen to the prayer that your servant shall pray towards the place you have written your name. Listen to the supplications of your servant, that your people, when they pray towards this place, that you would hear from your dwelling in heaven, that you would hear and you would forgive. God doesn't fit in buildings, yeah? Okay, look around. Look at the four walls of this place. This is a nice building. God don't fit in here. Doesn't fit in here. Although we get to experience his presence regularly, and it's awesome. Right? Tangible nature of God's presence. We worship. He's here. It's amazing. God doesn't fit in that prayer room over there. He doesn't fit in buildings. In fact, heaven can't contain him. Except for the Lord, for some reason, honors when things are sanctified and set apart and consecrated with his name attached to them. Second Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. I'm going to get really happy because I know what's coming here. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed all the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. So what do we got? We got wind, we got fire confirming the sacrifices over the covenant that had been created previously. Verse 14, God says this, my people who are called by my name, if they will, humble themselves and pray. And they'll seek my face. They'll turn away from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll hear the land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to their prayers offered where? In that place, towards that place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. That my name will be there. Everyone say that God's name would be there. God said that his eyes and his ears would be attentive towards the heart that's turned towards the place where God's name was assigned. Does this mean that you and I should still pray towards Jerusalem? It's a trick question. Don't answer it. No. Why? Because there's a new covenant. Everyone say new covenant. Thank goodness. Praise God that there's a new covenant. The reason you prayed towards Jerusalem in the past is because the old covenant was there and the seal of his promise and his name was in that place. But there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant which God's wind and his fire stand over. There's a new covenant which the eternal door of heaven was opened towards. And in that new covenant, you've been given eternal access. We spoke about this last week with Pentecost, right? What was it about? It was about God writing the new covenant on your heart. And the wind and fire of God would confirm that. His presence would be open and what would begin to take place? 
God's power, God's presence, the blessing of the Lord, his kingdom established in you. Mm-hmm. There's a major transition that happens in this moment between the old and the new covenant. Can I just say, just for certain, we know from historical reference exactly what takes place to the Temple Mount after Jesus ascends into heaven. We know exactly what takes place. In the year 70 AD, Titus rolls into Jerusalem, executes every Jew that's there. That's why Jesus said, when you see it coming, you should run for the hills and not go back to Jerusalem. That in that place, Titus comes with a pig and offers him up as a sacrifice to the Roman gods on the altar of God in the holy place, desecrating the altar and confirming that Jerusalem no longer was the place that God's name was attached to. That's a historical fact. What happened in the meantime? The new covenant was established. And where is the new covenant established? In us. Oh, come on now. Use your brain. Where does this begin to go? What's 1 Corinthians say about your life, your body? You have become the temple of the, the Holy Spirit. Where's the temple? Is it in Jerusalem? No! Hmm. How do you become a temple of God? This is a profound question with lots of implications, and it may mess up some of my Lutheran friends. <laughs> How do you become a temple of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. His name must be established upon that place. How does, you ask, God's name become established upon our lives? Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I command. And lo, I'll be with you, even to the end of the age, which was 70 AD. Hmm. Start baptizing people. Start confirming God's name over people so that the transition of the temple won't be a problem. Why? Because God's presence would manifest on his people. His covenant would be confirmed on his people, not a physical place. Okay. Acts 2.37. Day of Pentecost comes. Holy Spirit comes. Fire. Wind. Where? In the upper room of the temple. That's where it took place. Disciples are in the upper room of the temple. And the wind of heaven, it says, fills the house. What house? The temple, the whole temple. Whoa! Wind of heaven. And then it says, tongues of fire come and rest on each one of them. And they're speaking in other languages. What? Confirming the signs and the goodness of God in the languages of the nations. Why? Because this temple is no longer the place. The physical place is not a building. Brethren, what should we do? And Peter said, repent, change your mind, and what? And be baptized into the name of Jesus. 
Be baptized into the name of Jesus. How do you become a temple? His name needs to be assigned over your life. Well, Pastor Jamie, I received Jesus when I was like four years old, and I don't know if I should be baptized. You should! <laughs> be baptized! Each one of you. This promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for you. It's for your children and for all those who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. Baptism into the name of the Lord is what assigns his name to your physical life. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Pastor Jamie, well, should I still pray towards Jerusalem? <laughs> Where do we pray towards then? This is John 16, right? John 16, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's realizing his time is short. So this is verse 12. He says, I got lots more to say to you, but I can't, you will not be able to bear it now. You, you don't have the load-bearing capacity to carry what I'm trying to give you. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll not speak from his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he'll disclose to you what is to what? Come, future. He'll glorify me. He'll take of mine and will disclose it to you. All that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of what's mine and discloses it to you. Just skip down to verse 23. In that day, what day? In the day the Holy Spirit comes. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything, what? In my name, he'll give it to you. Until now, you've not asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be made full. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but an hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figurative language but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and you have believed that I've come forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and I've come into the world, and I am leaving the world again and going back to the Father. Jesus teaches his disciples that in that day, in what day? In the day that they become the temple. It makes perfect sense to that person living in, in those, those times. Because you went to the, pro, the, the temple. You, you prayed towards the temple. You, this is the place you pray. But in that day, in what day? In the day that the Holy Spirit occupies your life. In the day that his covenant gets confirmed in your heart. In the day that you are baptized into the name of Jesus. You become the temple. Do you know what that means? That means when you pray 
The scriptures are like ultra clear about the Father's promise concerning your prayer life if it's towards Jerusalem. There's many, multi-layered promise. Let me just read them to you. Ready? You'll be forgiven. You'll receive justice. You'll be victorious. You will be provided for. Plagues and disease will be removed. You will be healed. You will be delivered. People around you will suddenly know the Lord. Nations and groups of people will turn towards the Lord. Family inheritances will be returned. And the blessing of the Lord will rest on your life. If you pray towards Jerusalem, that's the promise. What happens when you become the temple? What, what happens when we remove the nonsense in between us and God? What happens when Jesus bridges the gap and he just ushers you right before the throne? What happens when you don't need a temple structure? What happens when you don't need a religious structure? What happens when you don't need to come see your priest to find out if you get forgiven? What happens when you don't have to? Attend church to be forgiven, to receive grace. What happens if you don't? What happens if you miss communion one week? Do we not have grace anymore? No, you are the temple. The Holy Spirit of God rests on your life. And therefore, when you pray, in what? Okay, does that mean at the end of every sentence you need to say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name? No, 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 no. In Jesus' name. Okay. When you got baptized, Jim, you got baptized into the name of Jesus. And so you moved from the outside to the inside and you became the temple so that when you pray, the Father in heaven hears you. Why? Because you are contained within Jesus's name. Just felt like you needed to hear that, Jim. Yeah, thanks. Y'all. Every whisper of your heart is heard before heaven. Every, that's why I said before, you fall off a log and you're more, you are more accomplished in your prayer life. It's interceding from your heart. You, you have compassion on a person who's begging on the side of the road. Maybe you didn't have something to help them with right now, but your compassion interceded on their behalf and the Father heard you. This isn't a religious practice that's necessary. You are a living intercessor. Your words are heard. Your heart is heard. You stand before the throne of grace day and night. You intercede. You are a living intercessor. The, heart's, the, the heart of the Father is perpetually towards you. you. Someone would say, well, Pastor Jamie, you know, I, I sinned last week, and so I felt distance between my relationship with God. No, your conscience got defiled. There's no distance between you and God. No, that's your physical form and your soul dealing with the consequences of sin. Your spirit man is standing before that throne interceding day and night. You, have the, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, whether you like it or not. In fact, if you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you may want to consider starting to live a more holy life because that presence of God dwells within you. So when you pray, man, imagine with me just a moment that Jesus, having been baptized by John the Baptist into the Father, begins to live his life with the Holy Spirit resting upon him. And so when Jesus takes his hands 
and lays them upon a sick person, what's he doing? He's extending the name of the Lord over a physical frame. And what did it say? God would heal him. What happens when you, who are the temple of the Holy Spirit, when you, who are in the house of Jesus' name, place your hands upon the sick, what will take place? They'll recover. Why? Because you believe? Not because of your belief, but because you believed and are in Jesus' name. These signs follow those who believe. It's not a work that you're trying to work up. You're not trying to do miracles. That's nonsense. You can't do miracles. But what I can tell you is that the house of God can. You're in him. You on your own, eh, good luck performing magic tricks. But you in Christ, oh my, that's a whole different thing. When you are wearing a Jesus suit, yeah, that stuff works. The temple of God gets extended. You put hands on the sick. They will recover. You speak in the name of Jesus, and there's authority to drive demons out. When you speak in the name of Jesus and you bless a household, they will be blessed. They will be forgiven. That's why you should forgive people. Why? Because you're the extension of God's mercy in his house. People will receive justice. How? Why? How is that going to happen? Well, because we reverse the laws in our land? No! Because the house of God will finally stand up and perform what it's supposed to do. You will be victorious. You will be provided for. Plagues and disease will be removed. You will be healed. You will be delivered. Your lost loved ones, are you kidding me? The promise is for you and your household. Be baptized into Jesus. What's the result? Your household gets saved. Y'all, think bigger than personal salvation. Understand that this thing is bigger, that God is inviting you into a kingdom, that you have become a priest unto God because you are the extension of his temple. When we lay hands on someone, we are taking the favor of the name of God and we are placing it and extending it over them. Their issues suddenly become covered by the grace and compassion of the Lord. Why? Because you extended his name over them. So be bold. Be bold. Rubber meets the road. Listen, why should you pray for someone in the supermarket? Why, why, would, you, why would you help somebody in need? Why, why would you... Why would you visit a sick person in a hospital? Why would you go to prisons to talk to people who are shut in? Why would you visit old people in, in, in homes that, where they have been shut away from families? Why would you do these things? Because you are the temple of God. And when you extend your covering to people, they experience the refreshment of heaven. Because it matters. It's not the labor of ministry. It's literally just the expansion of the garden of God to cover the earth. This is what he wants. Just care and extend his temple over people and watch as God transforms lives. Care, pray, do it in Jesus' name and watch as the Lord touches lives.
When you pray, God hears. When you pray, the angels of heaven are paying attention to carry out the will of God. When you talk to your heavenly Father, understand that you are standing as a priest in the very presence of God where the name of God has been assigned. And when you pray upon and call upon the name of the Lord, it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you stand to your feet today? That was a good word right there. There you go. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to activate this sucker before we leave today, all right? So what I need you to do is I just need you to grab somebody that's standing near you, and I want you to pray in Jesus' name over their life. Just go ahead and pray that the Lord would touch them, deliver them, heal them, bless them, provide for them. Just go for it. Extend the name of the Lord over their life today. Come on, I'll give you 30 seconds. Go for it. Just extend Jesus' name over them. Oh, Lord. Cover them. Mercy, healing, deliverance, restoration, victory, justice. We proclaim it all over these lives. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run into it will be saved. We extend your mercies afresh, Lord, over each life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, did you do it? Did you receive? Okay, now, Father, I thank you for your people, and I bless them today. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's countenance be towards you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May you know his favor. And may you extend his kingdom and rule of peace everywhere you go, that you would live under the banner of his shalom. I bless you today, church, in the name of Jesus. And anybody who dared agree with that said, come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love to connect you with our community. Please visit us at ithehouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week.